And uh, so today we're kind of in the midst of our our travel season, our vacation time. So uh, the rapture hasn't happened. And uh, aren't you glad for that? Because that wouldn't be good for you and I. So I'm glad. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Uh, Well, this morning I want to talk to you about fishing. And I by no means am an expert on fishing, honestly, is... um, I don't see this. Are the Stolkin pictures here? I don't see. But I have gone fishing a few times uh, with uh, my brother, and so he knows that I'm not an expert. So I was going to ask him to to testify and verify that fact. But since he's not here, I'll just tell you that I am an expert on fishing. So, but anyhow, this morning, fishing, you know, just to start out all this stuff here, uh, this first uh, 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 rod and... There's a, I have a, a set up here, a, a reel that was uh, purchased for me by a very good friend that I served with in, in one of the churches I pastored, and um, he bought me a, a fly rod and reel, and uh, he was an expert uh, on fly fishing. I mean, I'm not sure, you know, um, that I've met anybody that knew more about what was, uh, what was um, swimming in the streams of northern Pennsylvania than this gentleman, but he studied the waters, he knew what was there, he knew what kind of lures to make, and he was very good. When you watched him fish, he would just feather that line out over the water, and it would just land softly, and, and you know, he, a lot of times he would pull something in, and me on the other hand, I was tangled in limbs and snares and all kinds of interesting things, and he was very kind to me. And uh, one thing I remember about uh, the fishing uh, excursions that we took together is he always bought a, uh, um, brought with him a box of Dunkin' Donuts. And uh, that was amazing, best part of the whole trip. Anyhow, uh, and he also had bought me these, our, our waders. Uh, he really invested heavily in my involvement in uh, this fishing. And so he bought me these waders, he bought me this fly rod, and uh, I've used these a few times, not nearly uh, as much in recent years, but that's all part of the uh, fishing uh, journey. This was fly fishing, right? And uh, along with that, and I couldn't find it, uh, he bought me a, uh, a vest and had all the things hooked onto the pockets, you know, so you look like you know what you're doing. And uh, so I had a vest, I had the waders, I had the fly rod, and um, so... If nothing else, he prepared me to look like a fisherman. And, uh, and this is a conventional rod, you know, what most of us might use. Uh, this came from that great uh, sporting goods store known as Walmart. And uh, it was the economy rod, and it still has the sticker on it, and uh, maybe I can take it back. Um, but anyhow... Very nice little rod, and this is what you would use if you were going to fish in one of the local streams or lakes. And uh, so, uh, you know, I just have had a number of things. I mean, you may think of other things that I don't. I have a net somewhere to pull the the fish in. Um, You know, I have the hat that you have to have to be a fisherman. have all these things, and so had a stringer. Uh, to catch the fish, different lures, different baits, 
you know, you have the, the bait in the jar, you would scoop it out and, you know, do that. You have earthworms, you have the little bugs uh, that people use. So, you know, fishing, it can be done a lot of ways, and it all depends on where you're doing it at and uh, what you're fishing for. And um, really, the last time I'd been fishing really was with George Stolkovich here at church, and we've gone out a couple of times and uh, had great conversations, and uh, um, we had great conversations on those fishing outlets. And so we got to chat, talk a bit. Um, you notice I didn't say we caught a lot. I said we had great conversations while we were out fishing. So, you know, this morning, uh, Jesus says in his word, as he was walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea. And that's an entirely different type of fishing. They cast broad nets as uh, professional fishermen into the, into the waters, and they drew their nets in. And he said, for they were fishermen. And then he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Uh, they immediately left their nets and followed him. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you today that it is life, it is truth. Lord God, that it, it doesn't simply testify to a truth. It is your truth. It is inspired of you. And Lord God, you superintended the testimony of those who wrote these things down. And so, Father, we pray that our hearts would be, uh, Lord, under the anointing of God to receive the truth. And, Lord, that we, like the Apostle Paul, will receive the word of God as it is in truth. He commended those in Thessalonica for their acceptance of the truth. And, Father, we pray that we'll always regard the word highly. Lord God, that it won't be a commentary of men, but it will be a divine, inspired word given by you for life and faith in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Are you awake today? Good, good. I'm glad because I, you know, only I, only other person I talk to who's sleeping is Robin at night. So you're not, you're awake, right? You ever talk to your spouse and they say, be quiet? Well, yeah, well, I already know. We, I said I talked to you, but anyhow, this morning as we come into this house, we're all ready to receive the word. We've been praising our precious Lord and worshiping him. And so our highest calling today in, in life is to, be, is to bear witness of Jesus, to live the life and to bear witness. You know, we're surrounded by people, and as we've shared on different occasions, our neighbors are not just the, the people who live in the immediate pro proximity of our house. I mean, that, those are our neighbors every day, but our neighbors are people who are different from us, the same as us, people that... Are, have common life experiences and people who don't share anything in common with us at all. They're all our neighbors and they're all part of the, they're the, they're the fish that God has sent us to win. How many believe that God wants you to be a soul winner? People say, well, you know, I don't, I don't consider myself a soul winner. But here's, if you believe that and you think that way, I would pray that God will change that for you and that you will see that his purpose for your life is that you be a soul winner. 
that you be a person. You know, we understand God draws and God saves, but he's placed us here to present a good testimony to those who don't know the Lord, to build uh, connections and relationships with others that they might be able to come to see the Lord. And so as we talk about this today, Jesus called their attention to things internal and external, uh, temporal and eternal. And certainly when you look at the landscape, there's a lot, all of that kind of thing that's around us each day. But, you know, we, we have to look at the external. We have to look at the people around us. You know, a lot of times we're educated in how to do things within the church. But it's really important that we be educated from God's word as to how to share our faith how to live this life among others. Because the bigger portion of your life is not lived here. The bigger portion of your life is lived out there. You know, the, 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 you have much more exposure to the people in the, that you work with and you live with and, and you do life with than you do the people here. And so this is a vital collect gathering of people where we worship him, we exalt him, we are refueled, we are energized, we are fed, we are equipped. But everything that's done here is really to equip you to live it out there. And everything that every ministry should have as it, at its heart uh, to equip people to share Jesus with other people. And, you know, we, we've shared our vision statement and I hope you haven't forgotten it. If you have, you need to write it big and plaster it on your wall. And you've got your keychains. Hopefully you didn't lose them, but we have more if you do. And we want to give you your keychains so you can sit and look at it. But uh, reaching out, sharing home, seeking truth, and knowing Jesus. You know, those are, those are our pillars, the pillars of our vision here. You know, without soul winning, there's no church. You understand, without us winning people to the Lord, there's not going to be a church in the next 30, 40 years. You say, what do you mean by I'm saying that the church is not going to survive without being engaged and being a witness, a living witness among those who don't know the Lord. That's the design of God is that believers would be sent forth bearing witness of Christ. Think about that for a moment. If we're not winning people, and again, the heavy weight of this is not upon us. We are out in the fields. We are called to be in the fields. The, the Lord prayed that, there, what, that laborers would, would step up to the plate. And you and I are the laborers. We're the fishermen. Jesus said, follow me, and I will make you to be what? Fishermen. They were commercial fishermen, professional fishermen. They lived that lifestyle. They knew all about it. And now Jesus was calling and introducing them to a greater calling, a higher calling. And he says, I'm going to teach you how to win men, how, how to be a witness among an effective witness and to, and, and to win others. How many of us know that you know, it's important for our young people, and they need to be in church with us on Sundays, and we need to make sure our families are here together, the generations are here, and that there, our kids are being instructed and taught how to be a witness in this very difficult world that we live in. The ministries of our church need to, to spend some time on that with everyone in their, under their influence, teaching people how to share their faith, to share Jesus with those 
with who, because that's who they're spending 95% of their lives with, with the people in this world that don't come to church. And I'm not just simply talking about coming to church. I'm talking about people who don't know Christ who are lost without him. 95%, probably more than that, of the time that people live is lived among people who don't know Christ. So we need to be pouring into people's lives in order to help them to know how to be a witness, how to fish for people, how to be soul winners. Because, it, you know, the people are in survival mode today. The church cannot afford to live in survival mode. We have to be out there actively engaging the world that doesn't know who the Savior is. You understand, we cannot be in survival mode. This can't be holding the fort. This can't be internally. We can't afford to live an internally focused life. We've got to have an external focus. I mean, this is one of those things where what happens here is great, but for many people, unfortunately, over the years, what happens here is, is, the, is the most important thing in their week. And I want to tell you, it is a vital part of, of our faith, is being in the presence of the Lord corporately, being instructed, worshiping together. But what is going out of here? What is going out of here? Who is going out of here? What are we doing during the course of the other six days of the week when we're with people who don't know our terminologies, they don't know our practices, and above all things, they don't know the Lord? So it would, you know, I think that can't be just a little part of it. That has to be a big part of why we get up in the morning. Praying, God, I'm going to encounter people today. How can I effectively represent you? How can I be sensitive to those around me who don't know Christ? And how can, how can we build bridges? How can we speak into the lives? How can we listen and hear those whose hearts are broken, those who are searching, those who are in need? You know, uh, this morning... You know, if we get to the point where we know where every, who everybody is in our church, and we know where everybody is seated in our church, and that's okay, and we don't see the unfamiliar faces, and we don't see those whom we don't know on a regular basis who are being brought in and, and loved into the kingdom of God, and we see that kind of increase, then we've got to change the way we're living. We've got to change the way we're living this thing. We've got to see ourselves and embrace our, our calling as being missional believers. We are called to be aggressively kind, aggressively loving. That doesn't mean overbearing and beating people over the head, but it means that we're looking, we're constantly on the lookout for opportunities as to how we can share the love of Christ with somebody. We're identifying our neighbors as those who are not our enemies, not, our, not the weirdos, not the people who are just like us, but they are people whom God created and God loves. I want to show you a little picture here. You know, we, we celebrate today. Oh, yeah, I want to say before I go any further, my dear wife's going to turn 26 on uh, tu Tuesday, July the 13th, so... Happy birthday, my dear wife. 
I love you. You look nice today, of course. Uh, I want to say, um, and also we, 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 we welcome number six into the world, so six grandsons. We're still waiting for the granddaughter, but, uh, uh, you know, and uh, I, don't, I don't always understand the name selection, so I, if you ask me what it means, I, I can't tell you, but it's, it's uh, uh, what, what is it, Rob? Adler David. Okay, I'm not sure about Adler, but I looked it up. It's German, and it means eagle. Okay, so uh, he's going to be an eagle. So, But I want to show you uh, a picture for a couple of reasons, a couple of pictures. It's what we look like when we look at someone who hasn't, we haven't met before. You, know, you, see, there, there is, you see, he's trying to figure it out. He's looking at his baby brother. That's Reese, his older brother. Uh, and uh, that's Adler beside him. And you see on the left, he's kind of studying him. He's not sure what to make of that situation. This guy's new here. This guy's new here. And you can see on the other, in the other picture, I don't know, everybody can interpret it differently, but he looks a little uncomfortable. He's kind of drawn back, and he's kind of pursing his lips, and he's not sure yet what to do. But I want to tell you, Reese represents you and I today, and Adler represents the people that God wants to bring into this church, wants to, wants to know Jesus above all things else, all, all other things. And so, you know, rather than, and I love him, and I understand the context is cute this way, but you understand, here you have Reese on the left side, He's just like sizing him up and looking at him and, you know, thinking, you know, I was this solo act here. I'm not ready to be a duet yet. And so he's looking at him, trying to figure out, you know, what do I do with this? The other side, it looks like he's pretty much decided he's not doing anything. He's kind of drawn back and just going to kind of occupy his space and uh, the other one. So thank you for showing that. But this morning... You know, are we uncomfortable with that idea? See, and here's the thing. Uh, people aren't going to come to Jesus because we maintain the way we've always done the things that we've done. You know, we, we get to the point where we sometimes think, well, we just got to get back to the good old days. I want to tell you uh, the best days to come are, are, are upon us. People say, well, I don't see it. Well, that's okay. You will. You know, you don't see it with your human eyes. You've got to be seeing this in your prayer life. And if you're not seeing it there, then you're not spending enough time in that place. Because God begins to show us the things that we can't. And there's a world of people that God has given to the church as an inheritance unto his name. He's given the church. He's given you. Every one of us here have a pond that we can fish in. And your pond is your sphere of influence. It's the people in your life, whether they are people that you know, every, you've known from an everyday relationship, or you only know them on occasion, or those whom God is going to bring across your path. We've got to step to the forefront. People say, I don't want to be too preachy. I want to tell you something. We cannot disappear here. 
you understand that we as individuals can't be silent witnesses. You can't. People say, well, I'm just going to show it by the way I live. Well, absolutely your life should, should bear witness to the authenticity of your profession. But somewhere along the line, we've got to be willing to open our mouths because it says, how shall they know except someone tells them? And how shall they tell them unless they be sent? You know, God has sent you, and they will not hear. They will not hear this gospel if there are not those who are sharing it in love. And that's why we need the Holy Spirit, because not only does he give us the boldness, he gives us the tact and the wisdom and the sensitivity how to share, when to share, when to speak, when to be quiet, because he is the perfect communicator. The Holy Spirit is the perfect communicator, and he wants to fill us. So when we look at this, getting back to the text here, and before we do it, just say this, that Pentecost was not merely given for our personal pleasure. It was given for us for our, or for our personal gratification. It was given to each one of us for empowerment to be a witness and for personal edification as well, not gratification. Jesus completed his preparation in the wilderness and began to preach this gospel. Jesus immediately went out and began to preach this gospel. That was at the forefront of his ministry. People say the miracles were at the forefront of his ministry. The miracles only existed as signs and testaments to the authority and the authenticity of that which he spoke. Because every person he healed died. And so the most important thing wouldn't have been that their lives were extended for another 20, 30 years, but the most important part would be that they know Jesus as Savior, that they know forgiveness and grace, and they know the, 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 their personal worth as God sees and has made known. Jesus approaches these fishermen by trade, and he calls them to become fishers of men. And, and there must have been something that Jesus had done that was compelling, something that he had invested in them, because immediately they left their nets. And for someone who were, were, were professionals, those who were professional fishermen, you know, I don't think they would have just left their lives left their livelihoods unless there was something compelling them to do so. And so Jesus, I think there's a narrative there that we're not given, that's not provided for us. You know, Jesus invites them, and fishing was an important part of the Galilean economy. Fishing was an important part uh, today. It, it's a still an important part of the church economy because it's really a representation of being uh, having the evangelistic flow of the fivefold ministry active and moving through the church. You know, we talk about the fivefold ministry, and we, 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 we look at that. We look at all of these things, but you've got evangelism, which certainly is one of, the, one of those currents of the fivefold ministry. We talk about the apostolic, the evangelistic, the pastoral, the teaching, and the evangel. We talk about evangelism, but evangelism is really is is really the key to a lot of things because without evangelism, you don't have any of the other things. If we're not winning people to Jesus, there will not be a next generation of those to be discipled. 
There won't be those in the church. You see, we have gotten so used to, we've got so many churches around us. And if you don't like what's going on here, you just simply move down the road to another and another and another and another. And you just bounce from place to place to place. And, you know, when, when enough people bounce in the same place, we call it revival. That's not revival. That's called church hopping. That's not, that's not revival when we just simply move from place to place to place to place finding what's on the menu of this and that. If you, go, if you don't like what's on the menu and you think it should be part of the menu, then stay long enough to establish such. <laughs> oh, he's meddling again. That's what we do. Boat's 26 and a half foot long, seven and a half feet wide, four and a half feet deep, holding five crew members in the catch or five crew members and 10 passengers. And they would cast these nets that were hundreds of feet long, six feet, uh, uh, six to eight yards in diameter. A hook and a line might also be employed, but they, were, they did a lot of commercial fishing with nets. What kind of people does God choose? God didn't, you know, isn't it interesting? God didn't go to the temple to look for recruits. He was out walking where people work. And he came to, to Andrew and, and Simon, and, and he addresses them. And whatever he was doing and speaking to them, they at, at that point immediately left and followed him. Even if they didn't fully understand what it was he was talking about, you know, perhaps they said fishermen, fishers of men, and that was enough, and it drew them to follow him. Jesus went out to where the working class was, and he called two fishermen to be those who would follow him. The foundation of those 12 disciples that would follow him was found much in, the, in those whom he chose at the beginning. Secondly, you know, God can use and he calls anyone who's available Sometimes we make ourselves available if we feel that we are qualified, and we withhold our availability if we feel we aren't qualified. You understand something. When we do that, we're saying that there's no way God can make me qualified. You know God. I'm not. Remember, there's some other people in Scripture, Moses and, and, and Gideon. How many others say, oh, God, you know I can't. You know, but here's the thing. If you're available, you'd be amazed at what God will make you to become to do what he's called you to do. You will miss that whole part of, of a walk with God if you just simply stand back and say, God, I, I can't do this, and I'll just pray for those who go. You know, I'm not minimizing prayer. I hope you do pray for those who go, but you certainly need to be out and active among those who are going forth. The Great Commission mandates that we preach as we go, that as we go, we make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you, and lo, I'm with you forever and always. You know, this morning, the bottom... Really, the bottom line of all of this is that if the church doesn't do its part, we're worried about the government shutting down the church. I want to tell you, this is something that I received as a 
a revelation in my spirit, and maybe you'll bear witness with, and maybe you won't. You worry about the government shutting the church down. If the church isn't witnessing, it'll shut itself down. If we're not living this thing, we're going to shut ourselves down. We're so, we're so obsessed that the government's going to shut us down. And really, I want to tell you, there needs to be a shift in our thinking. We need to be praying for those in the government. You know, that's a real test to see some of the characters that are in front of us today and to pray for them. But if you say you can't pray for them, then you're saying Jesus can't pray for them either. Because Christ in you enables you to do that, right? It's not easy. You know, I see things that disgust me and make me angry. But, you know, uh, all I can run around and ramble on about it, but it doesn't change a thing. <laughs> you hear me today? The church will shut itself down. Won't be the devil. Devil's not going to shut the church down. You understand that, right? Greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. You know, Jesus is greater than the spirit of the world, spirit of, of uh, the devil. Whoa, don't do that. And uh, the crisis today is the church is shutting itself down. Because we're not, we're not out there. We're not out there. We come to church and we wonder why no one else is here. And yet, uh, let's take a quick survey of our practices over the last week. How many people have we actually introduced to Jesus? You know, one of, one of the, if you look at the objectives here, and I'm not here to condemn, I'm just saying we're in a crisis today. And it's not because the government is going to shut the church down. The government doesn't have the power to shut the church down. If the church is being the church, you understand that, right? You know, this idea that the government's going to shut the church down, the, it's not going to have to shut the church down if we're not being a witness and we're not sharing Christ. We will, by our apathy and indifference and our fear, shut ourselves down. I don't want to just, you know, who cares if you come to church and you hear a sermon and you say, well, that was a great sermon, if we're not living Jesus you know, you can get a good sermon. Anyone can accidentally preach a good sermon on a Sunday. Doesn't mean that you understand that that's what it's all about. You understand what I just said to you? I'm saying sometimes we can speak the words that sound really good. We can craft and we can put together the things that, that, that really are persuasive and convey. And, and I don't minimize the Holy Spirit and the Word. I'm not true. I'm saying that we, you could get someone who doesn't know Jesus who could stand up here and say a lot of things. And if you're only tuned in to the rhetoric and to the charisma of the person and the individual, you'd be very, you'd be very persuaded, could be very persuaded. But we're not here to show how you know, aside from spiritual charisma, how charismatic we are and how flamboyant we can be and how good of a show we can put on. It's not about that. How, how many know that? We pray for an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Here's the thing. The outpouring of the Holy Spirit is not a feel-good thing. It was given that we might be empowered to be a witness for Christ. You know, one of, the, one of the benefits we get is it is a great feeling to be in the presence of God. But God identifies the purpose for the outpouring as, a, as to equip us for a functional task. Are you still with me? All right, all three of you. Okay. 
You know, why don't people fish? Why aren't people fishing? Why aren't we doing this? Well, number one, sometimes, and this sounds maybe hard, but it's not, it's just look at it in terms of fishing, okay? Some people fish because they, they don't care for fish. They don't like long johns. They don't like fish sticks. Uh, if, you don't like, if you don't like fish, you shouldn't mind fish sticks then because I don't know how much fish is in a fish stick. Uh, but when you think about it, some people just don't care for it, and so we don't go. And I understand that. My wife, she's not a big fan of fishing. I mean, she'll go to support my great abilities, but she is not, but she's not, and she doesn't, wouldn't go on her own because she just doesn't care to fish. But I'm talking about the fish that we have to care about. And sometimes, you know, if you don't like fish, we probably will have little interest in fishing for them. You know, sometimes, and it's hard because this is where we need God's help all the time. When we look at people, if we can't overcome our distaste and our disgust for what we're seeing, and we can't somehow allow God to transform us into people who share the love of Christ with those who are doing things that we find disgusting, and we're overcome by our disdain and our disgust for people, and we don't have room for God to introduce the compassion that he has, that the world is without hope and the church likewise. God help all of us, help me. Because, you know, my first reaction to a lot of what I see is absolute re- repulsion. But somehow God is speaking into my heart as a pastor and saying, if you can't allow me to take you beyond that, you are never going to be effective for me. You're never going to make a difference in the world you live because you can't get over the smell of fish. The fish stink, and I don't want to touch them. I don't want to be around them. I don't like the taste of fish. I don't want anything to do. And so, you know, the thing would be we turn our backs on those for whom Christ died. I don't want to touch the bait. You get a big, nice earthworm. They're great. Night crawlers, best. Night crawlers. You get these little worms and things with lots of legs and little whatever. You know, you dig for them. You look for them. And, and, and you think, I don't, want to, I don't want to touch those things. You know, and how many of us have said, if we're doing it that way, I'm not in. But you understand, this really isn't about what you and I prefer or like. How many, give me an amen to that. It's not what about I like or I prefer or what I'm used to or the way we've done it. It really isn't about any of that kind of thing. Sometimes we look at the bait and we say, I'm not touching that. That's ungodly. I can't, you know, nothing that's done that compromises the integrity of Scripture or, or the testimony about Christ it, it should ever be invested in doing. But whatever we look at, we understand there's one gospel, and it stands forever. And yet the methods and the means and the bait, the bait. What's the bait? Well, the bait could be this. You know, uh, I, I think my friend really believed that if he gave me, he invested a lot in me for me to take up the interest that he had. 
And, you know, to a degree, it was effective. Life changes over the years, and you don't get to do what you always had, would have liked to have done. But, you know, this will always stand as a testament of his love for me and his desire to build relationship with me and for me to enjoy what he enjoys. So there are a lot of ways that you can set things out in front of people that aren't churchy, but they are, they are full of the love of Christ. They are, they are, they are, the, 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 the foundation is scriptural. It is Christ-centered and Christ-exalting. And we can come alongside someone and we can do something for or invite someone to do something with and at the same time sprinkle in some of our testimony. Come on, church, is that too much? That You realize over in other nations of the world, they're having their heads cut off for their faith. Husbands are being drug away from their wives. Wives being drug away from their husbands. Children being taken away from their parents because of their resilience and their lack, their, their lack of fear and their commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ. And we are running around worried that the government's going to shut us down. How embarrassing that is that the church in this United States of America is more fearful of, of Washington, D.C. Than, than they are confident in their God. That's a sad commentary. When you see believers and all they can talk about is, is the political condition. I'm not saying we should ignore. Absolutely, we should be invested, be part, stand up. But you know something? There's a whole world of people that don't know Jesus. If the church would get busy among them, it would be thriving. <laughs> Say, this is a hard message, Pastor. I thought you were happy. You had another grandkid. You know, I'm thinking of the prospects. Of what that means, but anyhow, don't feel don't like we don't like the feel or the smell of fish. Fish resist being caught. That's too much effort. Takes too much effort. They'll reject us. What if I go out there and I fish and I'm reeling it in and then it, it gets off the line and then my whole fishing adventure has been a waste of time. It's never a waste of time because God's word what never returns void. They fight to the end. They can have sharp fins and they can have teeth. They tend to be slimy and they smell. Does that sound like some folks you know? Others don't want to wait for the catch, you know, to sit there. I don't want to sit there all day and wait. I, you know, unless I, I have something to read or someone to talk with, to me, uh, you know, I'm not, I probably, just for the sake of fishing for hours, sitting there, Flinking, flinking a line in. I'm, and that's not my thing. I'd rather stand in a tree in the dark like sane people do and spend all day sitting there and seeing nothing. But sitting at a pond and just throwing a line in, that's much too beneath my intelligence because I'm a guy that gets out of bed well before light and crawls up in a tree. When we look at this, we understand that you know, there were times when, and in one instance, where Peter and they, his, his fellows had fished all night and had caught nothing. 
And Jesus says, let's go launch out again. And he says, come on. And he says, come on, Laurie, but if you want us to, we'll do it. And so they go out and they throw the line in where God told them to throw it in. And they begin to, or they throw the nets out and they begin to bring in fish. And there were so many fish that the nets began to break, right? And they had another, uh, one of their, uh, you know, another of their team brought their boat over. And they both are catching fish and the nets are breaking. You know, we get so worked up about things and how, well, you know, you're messing up this and you're messing up that. And it's easier to maintain if we don't get the, all these people in there. Well, you know, they broke, the, the nets were breaking. That meant they would need to repair them or to buy new ones. But you know what? How many of you would rather have to repair and buy new nets than not catch anything? You have nets so full that the nets are breaking and you've got not only your nets breaking, but then they're coming alongside and they're getting the same thing. And when, it be, when, when the nets start filling up, God's going to get more people involved. And the nets are going to need to be repaired. Wouldn't it be great if there were certain things here at Bethel that were so used that they had to be repaired because there's just so much foot traffic and people coming in and the seat cushions were getting a little, the cushions were breaking down and people had to complain about, you know, how hard the seat was getting. I don't know what that means. Forget it. Why Christians who do fish and don't catch any? How come we're not catching anything? We do occasionally share Jesus. Sometimes we use the wrong bait. You know, you say, what does that mean? Well, sometimes we just talk about church. And you understand the church community is something that people who are unchurched either choose not to know about or know nothing about because they've never been a part of one. Uh, you know, because, you know, either they've heard what church is or seen the results of what church claims to be, or they just are indifferent. So it tells me they're not excited about it, or they're fearful of it, or they've seen enough church people that they want nothing to do with it. Well, God wants you to be a light, to be an ambassador. An ambassadorship means that you represent someone, right? And you, you, and you follow the directives given you as you share those. You don't, you don't go off on your own thing, but you represent the one who sent you. And when, we send, when we're out among them, it's not just church. Church is a great thing. It's a great place to introduce people, to welcome them. Hey, come try my church. That's always a great thing. Well, most of the time, yes, it's a great thing. But it's a great thing when we say, hey, come try my church. Try Bethel. I believe this is a great church, don't you? Come on, three of you said yes. Come on, let's hear it. How many believe this is a great church? You know, because, I, you know, to say it isn't means that you're not great. And I think you're great. Look down the pew, and if you don't see anybody, imagine the persons that God's going to bring here and make this place an even greater place. This is a great church. Understand, I'm not putting Bethel down today. I love my church, but you know something? God didn't call me here to, to just kind of, okay, you know, because people are dying, and the, and the harvest is rotting in the fields. The harvest is rotting in the fields, and too many fish are dying of old age. 
sometimes we use the wrong bait. We sell our doctrinal statements, and those are all true and important, and we need to know what they are. We sell our facilities. How many know you can have the best facilities in the whole world, and if they don't see Jesus in it, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. You know, the, the uh, Pirates, I'm not going to talk much about sport, but I, uh, the Pirates are my team. I grew up. Don's a Tigers fan. I'm a Pirates fan. So you've had a little more success than we have. But you go to this great stadium. PNC Park's beautiful. little quaint stadium. And you know what? It's hard to fill it up because of what they, what's happening on the field. And, you know, and here when we look at it, it's not just what we provide in the way of facilities and, and statements about the church and religion and doctrinal science. The biggest draw to people is the desire for relatedness and purpose. Relatedness, they need to have connections with someone that are healthy connections, vital connections. And you may have people who come to church who don't get who might not get saved for weeks, months, or maybe never, but if they come to church for a while, there's a good chance. You know, how many of you believe that, you know, sometimes you, you give people opportunities in, in certain things in church when we might not even be sure that they're saved? That sounds almost heretical. Well, you're not going to, you're not going to, you know, I'm just talking about sometimes they can be asked to assist or to help and be a part of what we're doing. See, sometimes we say, well, not until, you, not until you, 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 you've been in, in line and you've proven that you're in line. Now, I'm not saying people should teach. I'm not saying they should, you know, there's certain things I don't think that, uh, I'm not talking about that. I'm just saying, like, let's give people an opportunity to be connected to something healthy and to be, share some time with us. You know, like the men's ministries, they do projects to help people. And one of the things that would be great and is great is that you open the door for people who might come to church who don't know Jesus as Savior and Lord, and yet they have some skill or ability that they could utilize as part of that project. Wouldn't that be a great thing? Okay, all four. Anyhow. And I'm not saying that just, I'm saying that's just an example because they are doing things. And that's a, a great opportunity for them and their other ministries. Having stu- sometimes we're, we're comfortable fishing in an empty lake. You know, we just, we know there's nothing there. And we just, we just keep throwing that line in and we throw that line in and we know something's fished out. And there's nothing in that particular place and we just stay there. And we believe there's only one way to fish. And sometimes we fish in the wrong place, and that uh, is where we choose to go. We get in, you know, God called you to get into the devil's den. You hear that, right? The de- not the one in Gettysburg, but God, well, you can. It's kind of neat. My grandson was up there jumping from rock to rock, giving us both coronaries. I mean, he ran off and took off and ju- 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 and he, and uh, so anyhow, that's irrelevant, but uh, get into the devil's den. God wants you in the marketplace. He wants me in the marketplace. Come on, church. Where are you going to win people? It's in the marketplace. It's out there in the world. That's where it's going to happen. That's where it's going to happen. The fish are out there in the seas of life, and God is saying it's time to get out there. You may feel like I'm hammering you, and I'm not hammering. I'm just saying, before you post 
anything about anything online, if you're not sharing the love of Christ with others, maybe you could redirect the time that you spend toward personal interactions with people who don't know Jesus. Okay, five or six, we're getting there. Sometimes the fish are found in the nearby, uh, near Jericho Road. Remember Jericho Road? Jericho Road was, what, 17-mile a road? It was treacherous. People died there. People tried to avoid there. If they didn't have to, a lot of people had to. It was thoroughfare route. And, you know, sometimes God says, I want you to go fishing down right beside the Jericho Road. Sometimes it's easier to maintain a, an aquarium, right? You've heard that said before, I think. There's a few people, Zig Ziglar and some others, that sometimes we're not, we're not out among people, winning people. We're more keepers of the aquarium. You know, we like the aquarium. Let's shine it up. Let's make it look pretty and nice and say, hey, look, it's wonderful. And the, when people are out in the seas of life, they're dying. How many of you say that's not okay? It's not okay. Your coworkers, if they don't know Jesus, they're dying and there's only one or two places. There's not three. Don't ever let anybody tell you there's limbo. You understand? There's not paradise. I mean, not there is paradise. You don't understand. What was the other? Uh, oh, purgatory. Different. Different place. There's no purgatory. Get off of that. If you're hoping, well, I'll, I'll just work it out in purgatory. I'll serve my time there, and then he's going to let me in. I'm going to tell you that's not true. One of two places, right? Heaven, hell. There's only one way to get to the one place. The other place, you can do anything, you can do a million things and get there. One way to get to the one place, and that is to be born again, to know Jesus as Savior and Lord. And if you believe that, then there's a lot of people that you know that have not been born again, and God's saying, I want you to catch them. I want you to catch them. Well, I'm almost done. Some of you are saying, I thought you already were, but fishing an empty lake, we haven't studied the waters. You know, we don't, we got to survey this thing. We got to survey it. You know, one size doesn't fit all. I mean, the gospel does, but our methods and our methodologies and our approach, it's not one size fits all. You know, I can't believe how outdated I've become. You know, say, that's not true, Ray. That's not true. I agree. But I want you to know, I, I look at things today and I think, you know, man, I, I have just grown to the place where I don't want to change. How many know you're in your spirit, you're in your natural man, I don't want to change. This is comfortable for me. This is the way we do it. And I'd rather just stick with the way we do it, even if we're not catching anyone. What, what, what good is it if we set something up here and the fish are over here? I want you to think about that for a moment. The things that we do, if we, we are so insistent that we're going to do it this way, this place, and we're not moving, and the fish are over here. Does that make a lot of sense to you? So we move to where the fish are. And in order to catch the fish, you can say to them, you have to become like we are. That's not the message. Because they're going to say, we were doing just fine, and they may think they were before you came, and there's nothing about you that I desire 
to become. But if we come in, and as Paul said, I become all things to all men that I by some means may win some. You know, the, to the Jew, to the, to the Gentile, two very different things. But, you know, you look at it, and the ability not to become hypocritical, not to be, not hiding, but to understand that sometimes we have to find things to build relationship in. And, you know, if you let somebody in a nursing home and you go in there to share Jesus, they really don't care who the latest, greatest worship team is. You say, well, some do. i got to tell you this much. The vast majority don't. I've been there enough, I know. They don't care how great things are here unless they can see it online. But a lot of people, what they get, you go into their world, you have to adapt. You go in and you minister to them in their place of residence and you become someone. You understand what I'm saying? You go into a school, you can't go into a school and say, hey, I, you know, you're going to, we did it this way, this way you're going to do it. It's not going to happen. On the other hand, I think it's sometimes ridiculous to see 70-year-old men wearing peg-leg pants and, and spiking their hair up, but that's okay. If it works and, and whatever works is good, it works that way, then that's okay. But I'm just telling you, we, when I youth pastored, I always said to the to parents, I'm never going to become what your kids are. I am going to build relationship with them. I can't come in here and take their look upon and they look at me with any degree of credibility. But I can, I can get into their world, and I can, I can go to their ball games. I can spend time with them. I can take them out to lunch. I can visit with them in their home and play their PlayStation games. I hate playing games. We're going to close. I'm going to share this with you. There was a young man named Eddie and Freddie, two men. Yep, he didn't have two names. He only had one. Eddie and Freddie Rivera. They lived in Lancaster, Pennsylvania many years ago. And we would often, well, we didn't often. We did every week and in between. Uh, and we went into the ward, which is uh, probably the unfavorable part of Lancaster City. I mean, it's not, they weren't wearing, you know, the Amish garb or, or the clothes that we wear. These, these were, were there, there were gangs and drugs. And people's homes were dysfunctional. I knew, I'd go, we'd go into homes, open the refrigerator up. Uh, they'd open the refrigerator. I'd say, do you have food? They'd open the refrigerator up, and they'd have cans of beer stacked in there. Three or four kids that come to the church, no food in there. And it'd be easy to say, well, if that's how they're going to waste their money, we're not helping them. But those kids needed help. Anyhow, we went to Freddie and uh, Eddie's house, and I'm not going to get into a lot of detail here, but, uh, you know, they, their, their lives were different than mine, what I was used to. And I went into their house, and their mother was cooking, and uh, I, she held this, she took whatever this was, this, 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 whatever, I still don't know what it was, on a fork, held it up to my mouth. She said, would you like some? I mean, if you're holding that fork in my face, of course I do. But she held that fork up. I didn't want it, but I chewed on it for a long time. And I chewed on it. And I said, 
she said, you want to stay and eat with us? And I said, no, I'm sure my wife has something prepared. I wasn't sure, but I was hoping. I said, she's got something prepared. And she says, no, 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 you're going to eat. So she made this heaping bowl of this stuff that I wasn't used to. It might have been great to them, but I wasn't used to it. And they came in, she brought it in, and I was sitting on the bed. And at that time, I worked for a pastor, and I love him, but I, pastor I worked with, I had to wear a suit to work every day. And I'm, I'm there in a suit and tie, sitting on their bed, and they come in, she brings me a bowl of this food, and I am panicked. I don't know what I'm going to do because I can't, I don't want to give her this bowl back the way she gave it to me, but I, I, I sweat and I, like I do always, and I did a few, and I thought, God, I can't do this. Forgive me. And you say, well, you could have just told her. No, that would have been really offensive to her. I was thinking, well, I can flush it down the commode. And I'm looking, and I'm thinking, no, but what if it gets stuck? I can't do that. And so I went into the bathroom, and I got some toilet paper rolled, you know, put it in my pockets. I dumped some in one pocket and some in the other pocket, and she came back in and says, you like? I was really afraid at that point that she was going to think I liked it so much that she gave me more. My pockets weren't that big. I said, no, I'm fine. Thank you. Thank you very much. That was so kind. Thank you. She walked out, and, you know, I went home, and I got out of there without anybody seeing anything in my pockets. But I was there because I love Freddie and Eddie, but not, not enough to eat that. And so we said, I went home, and like I usually do, I forget. And I set my jacket, throw it up on the chair, and Robin comes behind, cleaning my pockets out, and screams bloody murder. What is this? I said, well, hey. I almost had to eat that. I'll never forget that story because, you know, to me, I had, uh, you know, I didn't want to hurt them. And I knew that if I was going to be there, it was important to them for them to at least think I ate it. And I did not lie. When she said, did you like it? I said, it went fast. That is exactly what I said. It went fast. And to this day, I'm sure none of them know, and they won't unless somebody happens to queue in. You can come on up, Tammy, if you like. But people fish at empty lakes. You got to go. You got to go. It's not always pretty. There were two other little boys, and I'm almost there. Angel and Angelo. Angel and Angelo lived in the ward, too, and they were, two, uh, they were terrorists in our church. They would beat up on people. They would constantly. And one Sunday, we had a team, a children's church team. And, uh, and I, I said, you know, they're beating kids up. They're crying. We're trying to stop so we don't get in trouble and they don't, nobody gets hurt. And so I finally said, okay, Angelo and Angel. I mean, how ironic, Angel. Man, uh, I took them by the hands. They said, we're going home. We're going home. When you learn how to behave, we'll bring you back. Took him by the hands, uh, went out on the church van. Another fellow went with me. I went up, knocked on the door. Mom answered the phone, or answered the phone. <laughs> she she didn't know it was me. She wouldn't. But she opened the door, and I said, I'm sorry. We love Angel and Angela. We want them to be part of our church, our children's church. We love them. But they got to behave. 
And that's your responsibility to teach them how to behave. We can love them when they're here, but you have to invest in them and show them something. You can't just turn them loose to church and say, well, there's two hours of babysitting. They need an investment made in their lives. So when you have invested in them and you feel like you're seeing something begin to take place, we want them back. This is not, we're not, and I said, we want them back. We want them back. And they did come back. And the only thing I'm going to say is, you know, angels' horns weren't quite as long as they were before. And we built relationship with them, and we loved those kids. I still remember names, Jeff and Melissa Mackley. You know, the missionary that came here, Mike Brown, he was in our kids' church. And Mike Brown, when, he, when his family, his mom babysat our daughter, and she was a single mom raising, what, four kids? And Mike Brown was one of them. And then we see what God can do and how God can raise someone up and do tremendous things in their life. But someone's got to be fishing. You know, those kind of stories will never continue in the church if we're not fishing. If we're not fishing, you know, don't tell me we're having revival because everybody got mad down this way and came over here. We welcome everybody. We don't care if you came happy, mad, sad. We love all of you. But here's what, we, here's what I would challenge. Make this your last stop and get busy. If you don't like something, make it better. Amen? Don't be bitter. Make it better. Make it better because we're supposed to be fishing for people, and we can't get that done if we're not equipping fishermen. That's why kids need to be in church. Teenagers need to be in church. Children need to be in church with their moms and their dads as much as is possible because we're equipping people. You know Wednesday night is our primary discipleship here for the families. We have people of all ages come on Wednesday night. Men, women, boys, girls. And it's a great evening for discipleship. It's not just Wednesday church, it's a great opportunity. And there are people here who are investing with love and kindness into your kids, into your family, and they are good teachers. They are men and women of God who love the Lord, and they love people, and God has established them here at Bethel, and we are blessed to provide something for your family because we're raising up champions, right? Not chumps, champions. We're not, a, we're not a group of chumps. We're, a, we're a champions because we're on his team, and he's the head, and he never fails. I'm going to ask you to stand with me. Have you studied the waters today? Have you been fishing at an empty lake? Did you come too late? Sometimes we're not catching anything because we, we don't know the language. We don't know the need. We don't know the people. Are you willing to smell like fish or cheap? Because either way, you stink. If you fish, you smell like fish. If you work with sheep, you're going to smell like sheep. That's not too great a cost. Maybe our nets need attention. Maybe our nets are broken and maybe they're not catching anything because their nets 
God always casts the wide net. He's a great fisherman. He casts the wide net. He says they'll come from the east and the west. You know, when they come and they sit down at the table in God's kingdom. Jesus said, I must preach the kingdom of God to the other cities also because that's why I've been sent. And he brings them in. He brings them in. You know, this morning as we close, I want to tell you, there's another gentleman, his name was Doug. And uh, Doug was, um, you know, I've shared this, I'm sure, before. Doug lived by himself in an apartment when we were looking for a house, when we were at one of our pastorates, and uh, he was renting the basement. And when we went in, we asked, does he come with uh, but no, he was in the basement and he had aquariums of, uh, mm, I don't know, the constrictors or, what? Yeah, boa constrictors, yellow looking, big, crazy looking snakes. And we walked in and, you know, we walked in. He says, hey, you want to see my snakes? Yes. Robin was like, no, no, we don't. So I said, yes, we want to see your snakes. So he went in, and there's these snakes, and he picks them up, and they're wrapping around their necks, and, and he's holding them there, and he's telling us all about them. And then, uh, you know, he had a couple of snakes there. And you know something? I hate snakes. But on that day, God said, you love snakes. You love snakes. And Doug, uh, you know, we spent a little time there. And God, long story short, God launched something out of that encounter. And that man accepted Christ as his Savior and Lord. And we went to Jubilee Cafeteria in, in Bellwood or where Pine Grove. So, and we sat there and we talked. And, you know, he was a bike, kind of biker kind. But he was a scrawny biker. He wasn't like big burly kind of. I don't know what a biker. But he was small guy, scraggly hair, leather jackets. Uh, we sat there and uh, you know, we talked about Jesus in a way that he could get it at that time. He came into church. He'd sit in the back pew all the time. No one really knew much about Doug other than the people who invested in him. But he'd stand in the back, never say much at all. And, uh, you know, I'll just tell you this. This, is, this really was touching to me. When we, when we left that church, you know, there was a moving truck out front and, uh, and a lynch mob behind it. No, I'm kidding. And uh, we're getting on the truck, and the last, everybody had left except Doug. And Doug stood in the back of that truck with me, and he said, I love you. Don't forget me. And, you know, that... I will never forget. And over the years, Doug's moved around a few places, so I'm not sure right now where he's at. But, you know, to me, God loves people who love snakes. Right? God loves people who don't eat the foods that we eat and live in the culture that we're used to. And God takes us into those places. I see... Um, in the back here, Karen, I think that's you, isn't it, Karen? Is Karen back there? Is that Karen? Who is that? Everybody look and say, no, that's not Karen. 
Okay, well, she went to Kenya. I'm looking forward to hearing some of her story. But this morning as we pray, I know I've spent a lot of time on this. I just want to ask you, say, God, whatever you want to do in my life to shape me, to fish in the right places for the right thing at the right time and use the right bait and to, and to do the things that are necessary, Lord. If my nets are torn, help me, Lord, to see the need to mend them. Lord, if I don't love fish, help me, Lord God. I'm going to ask you this morning, if you, on that point, if you would agree with me here. This is really important because I think this is the great challenge of our day because as much as we say the government's going to destroy the church or bring it down, I don't, I, don't, I don't believe that anymore. I don't. Maybe for a little while I was fearful of it, but, you know, I have to believe what Jesus, when he said, I will build my church in the gates of hell, it shall not prevail. Either, he, either he's telling the truth or he told a lie. I don't know. You decide. I do know, but you have to decide for yourself. But this morning, how many say, God, I need to be baptized with a fresh love that goes beyond my boundaries. It's greater than my disgust. Lord, I need a love that doesn't remove me from being involved in local government and local service and local places where I need to be active and alert and to be informed and to be proactive, not just simply reactive. But Lord, give me a love. Give me a love. Give me a love for people who are so much different than what I am because, Lord, what I am is not wonderful without you. How many here just really believe that you, God's gonna, God can ignite within you a new love for people that is greater? You know, because if this church is going to grow, it requires an investment, requires relationship, requires launching out into the deep. It requires answering the call of God without condition. How many, I'm serious here, you just say, uh, how many here would just call out to the Lord and say, God, baptize me with a, with a deeper love for people than I've ever had before. Help me, Lord God, to break down the preconceived ideas and the prejudices in my heart. Help me, Lord God, Lord, empty me out so you can fill me up. Pastors and board members and Sunday school teachers and children's church workers and nursery care workers, all of us, Lord God, we say collectively, Lord, we thank you for the love that you've given us, but Lord, we want to love those whom you give us with an even deeper love. Lord, I pray this morning for those who go out of this church, Lord God, that we'll see that people are going to spend an eternity in either heaven or hell, and we have been here, placed here for this time for this season, to love them toward God, to love them out of darkness, and to love them toward God. Hallelujah. Come on, church, this is a great day. Let, let something stir your in, innards up here today. Lord God, give us a baptism in the, the deep, compelling, indestructible, redemptive love of a God who's greater, greater than the worst of men's sins. 
Lord, the, the deepest, darkest places are the places where the light loves to go. It doesn't run from that place. It loves to go there. Lord, give us that kind of heart. How many here today say, God, I need to step out from where I have retreated to, and I want to be on the front line. I'm going to ask you here. I'm not going to pull on, but just as a, a commissioning, I'm going to ask, would you be willing to step up here with me just for a moment? Won't keep you. Promise, promise, promise. I won't. I, now, that's five promises. So that'll be five lies, I tell, if I keep you here. So I'm going to ask you to say, God, I want, to, I want a deeper love, man, because this church has been placed here not to take up this acreage, but this church has been placed here as a, a, a place to, for people to meet, to come, uh, who have been introduced to the Lord Jesus Christ. Boy, oh, boy. Thank you, Father. We thank you. Hallelujah. Come on, church. Everybody that's in any ministry should, should be leaping out of their seats saying, you know, there's no way, you know, we just don't want to maintain, Lord God, we want, we want to love people uh, into light and away from darkness, not with this mushy, gushy, I love you today and tomorrow I don't even remember you, the love of God, the love of God, Lord God, I thank you, I thank you, you know, there, there are sometimes we get so sidetracked by other things that we lose sight of the main thing. God, if we have lost sight of that main thing, Lord God, if we've lost sight of that main thing, Lord, bring us back to the place, Lord God, where we see it as primary. Lord, that our sons and daughters will be saved, that our grandchildren will be saved, that our neighbor's children will be saved, and our neighbor's grandchildren will know Jesus. Lord, that future politicians will be people who have been introduced to Christ have been loved into the kingdom of God and they will be ambassadors for the kingdom of God before they're an elected official of men. Lord, we thank you this morning for the Holy Ghost. Thank you for the Holy Ghost here. Baptize us afresh and anew. Come on, church. We need fresh baptism in the Holy Spirit here. We need fresh oil. What are you waiting on? We don't need God. You say, I'm waiting until God says it's time. God already said it was time. Lord God, we want the fullness of the Holy Spirit in this body, that power that comes from you, that power to love, that power to serve, that power to discern and to speak with authority, to pray with authority, to worship with authority, to worship, Lord God, in spirit and in truth. Jesus is coming soon. Jesus is coming soon. Lord God, I pray and over these that have come to this platform, those who are standing in the pews in agreement, Lord, I pray over this church body that, Lord God, Lord, that they will receive a fresh baptism of divine love that doesn't just simply say anywhere with Jesus, but anywhere that Jesus leads, I will go. Any people he leads me to, I will share his love with. The greatest day is ahead, is here. I don't like to say we're looking at it. It can be right now. God can break this thing free. God, we pray for the Holy Ghost to move in this house. Pray over these people, Lord, fresh anointing, fresh baptism, fresh infilling, Lord, all of the above. Lord, we take all of it. And Lord, God, that our eyes will be open to see the harvest, to see the fields. 
Lord, to see the fish swimming about in our lives, to understand this isn't about church or religion. This isn't about church or religion. It's not about politics. This is about the kingdom of God. This is the kingdom of God. Jesus didn't go about preaching politics. He didn't go about preaching, Lord God, religion. He preached the kingdom. He preached the kingdom. He preached the gospel of the kingdom. Lord, help us to bring forth the gospel of the kingdom of God. The king of glory is greater than all. As we close this time, I think all of us maybe can relate to this. How about those fish that died, lived and died in our lives? For which no effort was made. To love them into the nets, to love them into the kingdom. I can't do anything about that, but certainly, Lord God, we can let our hearts be broken. But that's not okay. That's not okay. share one last thing with you. In church, we uh, we had served you and our kids were, were uh, connected to a lot of other kids in the community. There was a little girl that uh, came to our house that was a friend of Ashley on a PSA account. She came to our home. We just saw it as a friend that she had and, you know, um, didn't know much about. We knew her parents. I mean, we didn't keep the kid without her family knowing. But we had um, a little girl came. Jessica was friends with her older sister. And um, anyhow, jump forward. There was a, they had a relationship with these kids. And uh, one night, Robin and I went to the school play, high school play. And as it was over, there was one of those kids. There was one of those that the older daughter that had come to our house was friends with our oldest daughter. She walks outside, and her mother was behind her. And I leaned in, and I said to her, I said, you did a really nice job today. That was wonderful. You did a great job. And I remember she just smiled and said, thank you. And she walked away, mother walked away. And they, they were all going to a, uh, a graduate or a, or a cast party at one of the homes. And so um, one of my daughters, was one of them there? Jess was at this cast party, so this oldest girl was at this cast party with Jessica. Um, her mother comes and picks her up shortly after she dropped her off and said, you need, to, you need to come home with me. And so the girl leaves. And we found out later that evening and a lot of the kids at church we had church that night and a lot of kids had caught word of it and were talking about something had happened and nobody knew what was going on but um, this mother picked up the oldest girl 
And she took her to her house and shot her in the head and killed her. She killed her. She had already shot and killed the younger daughter and threw her out of the car alongside one of the highways. She had killed the son. He was sitting in the house playing video games, a teenage boy, and she walked up behind him, put the gun to the back of his head, and killed him. And then, you know, when police began to put together everything that had happened, and, and uh, you know, this girl, these girls had been in church some, uh, and um, the mother had retreated to the home where her son was still lying on the floor uh, that she had killed that morning, and she had this gun, and the police are uh, surrounding the house, and, and, uh, and the final act was she killed herself. And, you know, when I look at that, you say, that, that, that's a dramatic story. But, you know, these kids, uh, I, I look at that little girl that was in our home, and now I see it differently. I wish I had seen something. I'm not saying that we could have prevented that, but seen how valuable and important she was before that day. That older girl ran with my oldest a little bit, and I wish we had paid a little closer attention. You know, and those kids all died in the same day, and none of them knew it was coming. And, you know, and I look back at these experiences in my life, and, you know, it's, it's easy to think that life's going to just keep going on the way it does, but we just never know. We never know. We never know. And I could tell you a lot of things, and I won't, but I'm just saying this morning, um, We've, the mother was mentally ill, obviously. There was something wrong there, you know, demonic, whatever. I don't know what all was going on, but um, she obviously needed Jesus as much as her kids did. And what a loss it was. Our world is so broken. God, you know, I said here the other week that I would never go into a restaurant that weighed the, uh, the rainbow thing. God said, yes, you will. And I said, why will I want to go in there? They patronize them because there's fish and there's sheep in there. And you do them no good by staying away from that. Now, I'm not going to not put them back a six-pack. I'm not doing anything like that. I'm telling you that God says, get out. I had to repent of that. I went home. I felt pretty good. God, I took a stand today. And he said, no, you didn't. You're going to go back in those places. Because the world needs you. The world needs souls. It needs life. So I asked God to forgive me. Lord, I thank you for this group right here. I thank you for the people, Lord God, who are going to love those who don't know Jesus more then they're going to be repulsed by them. Lord God, we all stink with the smell of sin before you cleanse us. Thank you for those who loved us enough to say, I don't care. I love them. And I'll love them back. And I, can, you, can you indulge me one more time? It's not God.
Palm Springs or someone else. And there's a young man. Uh, I won't give you his name because he, he's probably going to visit here somewhere. Um, he was womanizer. He was a, uh, they, you know, they called him the uh, pig of our town. And um, he came into church and he'd been, he'd, he, was, he had been kind of knew about Jesus at the beginning of his life and he and he got away from it. He was playing in nightclubs. He was, you know, he was an entertainer and did different things. And he came into church and, you know, we built a bond, built a bond. I can't tell you that I didn't even know what the basis for it was, but we built a bond and a friendship. And he kept coming to church and he had had been married a couple of times, had many girlfriends, had five children and five and the three little ones were there. And when he came and rededicated his life to the Lord and committed his life, he came to church and three boys sitting right beside him every week in church, faithfully in church. I still hear from him all the time, love him to death. He came, he came, his kids were there, he was faithful. And then you know, time went on, some time went on. He'd been there a number of weeks and number, number, number of weeks. And God impressed on my heart. He said, you know, he has talents and you have needs. You want to use them. I say to him one day, I say, hey, uh, you know, I won't protect the names. Hey, Ralph. I said, uh, want to play the drums here? We don't have anybody playing our drums here. You want to play the drums here? I'd love to play the drums. I got to tell you something. You would have thought I invited the devil into the house. You can't do that. And I, I, had a, I gave a, a, a corporate loving scolding. I said, listen, this is why we are here. We are here to reach people. And this man can either be playing in a nightclub or he can be playing to the one he knows is his Savior. And I got to tell you, he came in, he plugged in, he blessed the socks off that church, and he got more hugs the next Sunday than I got in all the time I was there. And I got to tell you, to this day, Bob, still serving the Lord still serving the Lord, still loving Jesus, and he'll send me little texts, and he said, this guy, you'd think you're two like fruitcakes, you're fruity guys, or whatever. He said, I love you, Pastor Rick. I love you too, Bobby. I got it out there, so I finished it. Hey, Bobby. I, I said, you know, for me, his life was turned around. Isn't that what it's about? And you know, I didn't know what to do with him, but he was sitting there and we had this vacancy, and I'm thinking, you know, Bobby, I've been discipling him and pouring into him. Oh. He blessed the church. I want to ask you this morning, are you, are you willing to go the distance? Even when people say, what are you doing? Don't you know who that is? Don't you know what they've done? Don't you know what their reputation is? Aren't you glad that God didn't tag you with your life past history? God, I'm so thankful to you today that you have washed my sins away, that you've removed the labels and the tags 
that we're on the line. And we want to do that for others. Let's sing a song here. I've gone on a long time. Just these things flooding back. Fish. Let's pray. Let's sing to the Lord. Thank you for listening. You can find us online at BethelAG.com or on Facebook at Bethel Assembly of God, Littlestown, Pennsylvania. Our services are also live streamed every Sunday on our YouTube channel, Bethel AG, Littlestown, Pennsylvania.